This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufal, Stephen Maresca, and Matt Fusaro. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm your host, Jason Pufal, joined as always by Steve Maresca and Matt Fusaro. Hey, hey guys. Hey, everyone. Uh, so I think today we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how you might use the behavior or sort of common techniques of attackers to you know, slow them down a little bit, uh, maybe, you know, maybe better detect their activities, uh, you know, confuse some of the activities that they've got, right? Like you understanding their techniques and maybe deploying some technologies uh, that might just otherwise give you an opportunity to react a little bit more. Um, you know, may, at, at a really high level, uh, Steve, common things that, that you see deployed or that you recommend people deploy? Yeah, so it's basically some terminology up front because I think this is kind of important. Yeah, that'll be important. Um, this is a very unusual area of security. And I think a lot of people hear of it being discussed, not necessarily understanding what the lay of the land is. Um, deceptions in a defensive manner include technologies that you may have heard of like honeypots, honey tokens, canaries, Things that, you know, to some degree have meanings outside of cybersecurity. The canary in a coal mine is obviously the origin of that one. What's the purpose? It's to give you a, a bit of a leg up to detect activity that should be definitely deemed malicious. That's kind of the intent here. Um, and I'll add to what you had in the opening, Jason. Part of this is to gain information about the attacker so that you might, in the moment, defend the network. Um, so what are your common initiators of, of an incident? Phishing, right? Um, so what what happens in a phishing attack that could be defensively meaningful? Um, for example, uh, you know that your users are potentially submitting their their identities to a form, right? They're revealing their passwords. How can you use that in an environment? I think that if you use a fake identity that is known baked into logging systems and uh, examples of that variety, you can submit that to a form and hope that the attacker attempts a login. I've personally used this with success to get uh, information about where attackers are uh, attempting their logging, attempting their logins, attempting their other secondary activity. Uh, what's that get you ultimately? Yeah, I mean, it, at that point, you're starting to get some IOCs that you can start putting in to you know, your sims or even your firewall rules, right? Uh, you know, if you want to start moving into the defensive area. So if you're if you're looking to gain more information, you may, might not want to be blocking that activity just yet, right? Uh, but yeah, we, by putting that form in, getting more uh, more activity from that actor, then yeah, you, you're now getting sources, you're getting um, what's the behavior, right? Are, what types of things are they trying to uh, get into? Are they looking for exchange, for example? Et cetera. Right. So we're getting some notion about what systems they're targeting. We're getting some notion about the users themselves that may have actually submitted their credentials. Yep. Now, it's not atypical at all for users to mistype a password in a phishing form. So it, you're not necessarily tipping off this activity by submitting a fake account uh, outbound, but it allows you to infer what other users might have actually been hit. And that's really important because especially when you think of people working from home, using their devices, the, the odds of an organization having visibility to see 
what user clicked an email from the network traffic is much, much, much lower than it ever used to be. Right. Um, so you want these secondary indicators as one mechanism uh, to gain visibility into what's going on. So that's, that's phishing. So so I want to actually pause you there yeah. for a second because I think that's a that's a good point. I, I, I tend to think of some of these techniques from the perspective of networks or servers that are deployed in your more traditional you know, data center or business environment, right? Where, you know, an, 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 an unallocated IP address space that you don't expect any of your actual users to ever hit. You know, if you see traffic there, you probably can assume it's malicious. Do these techniques still have value with some of the changes that we've seen today in terms of, you know, the hybrid workforce or, you know, the, the switch at least to the out of office uh, workforce? I mean, I, I, I wanted to start with that one because I think it proves that there are techniques right. that are valuable yeah. given that, you know, more traditional deceptive techniques do depend on that local internal network visibility. Yeah. It's also going to depend on, you know, your your employees, like how many people you actually have to maintain something like a dark net, for example. And if you're not familiar, a dark net would be um, almost like a trap network that you try to lure attackers into that environment, maybe replicate a couple of things that look similar to yours so that you can gain information about an attacker and hopefully block that activity in your production environment. Yeah, so honestly, that's a good segue into internal defenses, right? Uh, what do attackers do when they get a foothold in your network? They run scans, they perform reconnaissance, they want to start staging an attack. A darknet, like Matt described, would be a reserved area in your network that really there is nothing legitimate. Therefore, any traffic destined toward that location should be a bellwether that, you know, someone's either made a typo, which is potentially legitimate, or um, searching. And right. that recon, will... Recon. Exactly. Yep. And that will tell you what potentially compromised systems are doing reconnaissance. Um, those are really great ways of, of gaining early indications of attack before they really get rolling. Uh, honeypots are related technology. They're not quite the same as a darknet. It, they're far more interactive to an attacker. They look like a real system, you know, ideally. Um, it pretends to be something that, you know, maybe has an attractive keyword in its host name, you know, accounting yep. files, <laughs> uh, something like that. But, you know, they pretend to be vulnerable systems or similar. Same goal, attract attention from an attacker and potentially in this particular case, make them waste time trying to right. break in. Yeah. So, so to some degree, that's the goal, right? Get them focused on something that is unimportant and gives you an opportunity to respond rather than maybe, you know, getting right after the, the real legitimate assets. Right. A any speed bump in an incident is a help. Uh, an old term for this used to be called the tar pit. Far, far more uh, network oriented, deliberately trying to slow down network traffic. Not very common to encounter it today, but the, the notion, the actual uh, metaphor is useful here. Uh, if you can dream up a way to direct attention away from your actual assets, you've you've gained some time. Yeah, it, these things used to be quite onerous to deploy, right? I mean, Steve, you, you helped run some of your dark yes. net uh, in the past. That's not so much the case anymore. It's been it's being built into a lot of products now. Absolutely. You know, your endpoint security solutions have them now. Uh, there's point solutions that are literally like, uh, was it, uh, is it Red Canary? Uh, yep. Yeah, one of those out there that you can actually deploy a physical hardware or virtual machine and it acts as a honeypot for you. So this technology is attainable now and it helps you with the alerting and everything. It used to be very a lot of work to put something like this up, not so much anymore. Returning to the fake identities aspect, it, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned um, 
uh, fake tokens in EDR platforms. Very useful scenario because they insert potentially interesting credentials into memory and anything interacting with them or attempting to authenticate with them become an immediate uh, indicator of attack. Great example. Um, But what I like about that example is, and I do find myself thinking about this, if you use an MDR and it's doing something like you know, fake tokens, that's something that your IT staff doesn't have to do. It's taken right. care of by the by right. the platform. You know, implementing a dark net or some of these other technologies, they are time consuming. You do have to monitor them. And I and I wonder where they sit in terms of value against other potential security activities. So I'd say there's a spectrum. Honeypots, onerous, unless you're deploying something off the shelf like Matt mentioned. Uh, other things, you know, for example, like um, creating an identity that sits in Active Directory or whatever your identity store is and literally does nothing else other than uh, be an illegitimate thing to be used. You know, Easy. Right. Sure. You, you set it and forget it. And then if it happens to appear in dark web data, because you're hopefully searching for that, then you know without a shadow of a doubt that your local identities have been leaked. It's a, it's a great way of... Uh, determining through inference and monitoring that something's occurred. So low effort, high fidelity if it gets triggered, right? Similar examples. Um, and this is a more of an exfiltration and data access scenario. Um, weaponized documents are used all the time in phishing attacks to actually compromise a system. But similar techniques are possible to deploy uh, to gain a sense of someone opening a file. Um, canarytokens.org is a great site. It will generate you a document like a Word doc or an Adobe PDF uh, with a callback to a system. So you can get an email, for example, if it's opened. Uh, Put that in a file, share in a place that shouldn't really be open during normal business or legitimate activity. You know, someone's snooping. Maybe it's an insider threat. Maybe it's an attacker trying to determine the value of the material. Um, Related concept, um, a lot of uh, network file shares, if you're still using them on-prem, have a capability to trigger a script if a file's been opened or listed even. That is enough to infer some types of attacks like ransomware are underway. Um, deny the user automatically in that script uh, from accessing the share, shut down the attack, and potentially trigger an email. Th- those are, again, low effort, low cost, potentially free ways of knowing without a doubt that something unusual is going on. So what strikes me by listening to this is you need to have at least decent documentation if you're going to implement some of these things then, right? Because if you start to get alerts for an account that was triggered and maybe you're at the help desk or somewhere else, you could think that that's a real human being, right? So you don't want just one technical person implementing a bunch of these techniques uh, not necessarily being the one who gets the alerts and then confusing everybody when they start to see activity. So you know, th- there is there is an aspect of this that that strikes me that you have to have at least good documentation, if not a reasonably robust security program to really get value out of these. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd say you'd probably need to have a robust incident management plan, right? Um, you, you may not want to tell the rest of your IT team about some of those things, right? Because sometimes you do want to understand if your help desk is going places it shouldn't, you know, the other engineers are going places they shouldn't. So, it, but if you have a good threat management system in place, that stuff will get to the right people and be dealt with, right? They'll they'll know that it's an it's not an issue, etc. Right. I I think that in every one of these scenarios, an alert 
to the people who should know needs to be sort of a tacit yep. expectation. Yeah, piece of it. Because if it's not, you're not getting the value. Right. Um, and these, these types of things are really valuable to, to companies that would probably be targeted um, by a certain attacker, right? So th a lot of the what you're doing is trying to get information about your attacker that you may not be getting from your standard IOC sources, right? It's not public data anywhere. It's not something that you're going to get from the alien vaults or Fortinet of the world. Um, you're, you're trying to create your own set of information, right? And it's typically because you're, you've got something valuable. You may be getting attacked by, uh, I don't know, a zero day, if you will, <laughs> or, or an organization we don't know about sure. yet. Sure, or, or it's industrial yeah. espionage and your most sensitive information guarded. Um, you know, you've planted something that at least gives you a heads up that it's right. been touched in a way it shouldn't have been. Yeah. That That's the way you want to uh, approach this problem. There are other scenarios too. Um, you know, as a matter of course, that identities are being leaked in dark web data. They might have been third-party breaches, but they're using organizational identities, right? Uh, there's nothing inherently um, in that data that you know to be associated with your organization unless you had a breach, right? But if there is a plain text password in dark web data, you might as well uh, use a service that allows you to fetch them for all of your organizational identities Test them against your Active Directory, against Office 365. If you find one, A, it's a security awareness educational opportunity with that individual user. B, you can actually lock the account, change the password, impose more rigorous controls, and defend in a way that, frankly, could have been used by an attacker at that moment to gain access. Right. So there are lots of options here. Um, I, I do think that they are worthy of investigation, either when evaluating products, per your point, Matt, in terms of EDR, but also as just rainy day projects, you know, enable something, hopefully you never receive an alert, bias it towards low noise, and hopefully you'll be able to react appropriately early in an attack. Yeah. And, and honestly, they can be valuable sources of, of data it, for at low cost, potentially. So, you know, from, a, from the standpoint of you know, risk versus expense or complexity versus expense. Like some of these aren't that hard to do. They do provide high fidelity. I like that term that you used before, right? High fidelity data. So you're not guessing. Yeah, you're not having to do a lot of legwork to determine whether or not it's a legitimate alert. Uh, you can take some action on it and it gives you some information that you otherwise wouldn't have had. So, um, so I think, you know, that, that that's, a, that's a good high level topic or high level uh, overview of, you know, maybe how to turn tables on attackers, how to use some of the data that you have at your disposal just to buy you some time in the event of attack or just give me some information. Um, if there's any, you know, any follow-up that people want, uh, you know, feel free to reach out to us at, at LinkedIn, to Vancord. Uh, we're happy to, you know, give you tips, techniques, tricks uh, that we use or that we've seen um, or just otherwise uh, talk about the topic a bit more. So as always, we do appreciate people listening and hope you got value out of the podcast today. We'd love to hear your feedback. Feel free to get in touch at Vancord on LinkedIn or on Twitter at Vancord Security. And remember, stay vigilant, stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.